Hello there and welcome to another episode of Ruben's podcast. A show where I speak to people about their lives over the last decade and the lessons they've learned along the way. On today's show, I'm speaking with Ananya. I met Ananya back in 2010 in university where she was studying history. Over the last decade, she's followed her dream ever since she was 13 to become an archaeologist, which has taken her from the classroom to dig sites and now to working at a museum. In today's conversation, she tells me what about digging stuff out of the ground excites her, moving to Paris and life there, and what an average day at a museum looks like when you're not a tour guide. But before we begin, some quick housekeeping. For those of you who don't know, I started a new job. That means I have less time and I'm looking for someone to help me out with the podcast. If you know someone who's keen to learn through experience about what goes behind the scenes, please connect them to me. I really appreciate it. Right now, I could really use some help editing these shows. Okay, with that, let's get into the conversation. So, we are live. Aranya, thanks a ton for taking time to do this. Where in the world are you right now? I am currently in the suburbs of Paris and uh, been living here for the last two and a half, three years. And what That's is it called? Like, what is it called? It's called Rue Malmaison. Mm-hmm. And uh, it again? It's, <laughs> it's called Rue Malmaison. Oh. And it, it's, it's the city that used to have the um, ancient palace of uh, Napoleon. Oh, wow. So, It's very close to Paris. It, it's essentially a suburb. <laughs> Got it. And how, like, how far is it? Like, in, like, you can can you drive to Paris, or do you take like the train or something? I take the train, the ah. the metro. Got it. So that takes me about fifteen twenty minutes. Got it. So it's and, not that far. <laughs> and and how long have you been in Paris now? It's been two and a half three years. I moved here around two thousand eighteen and been here since then. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I can already <laughs> catch that you probably speak French pretty fluently, right? It's been a steep learning curve. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> This is what I'm. I'm working uh, right here now, and yeah. um, my work is all in French. So I've had to learn. Your work is 100% in French. 100% in French. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! And you just—I'm assuming you would have just started learning French two and a half years ago. That's it. Yeah, about, about 2018 is when I properly started learning because I realized, okay, I'm moving here. I might as well start. And yeah. uh, for a lot of other reasons, I started picking it up. And then I found work, and I had to sort of. Wow, that's <laughs> crazy! I, and my sister is in, in Paris too. She did like a, a master's there, and she mm-hmm. was telling me about okay, she should learn to speak in French because a lot of the business and and work is like you need to have professional pro- proficiency in yeah. French. Um, but then the crazy stuff she told me, and I'm curious if that's the same with you. Is she now thinks in French? So w- when you think, do you think in French, or do you think in like I don't know your own language? It it depends. In fact, I know that there's a certain part of my life that's completely thought in French, written in French. Everything is in French. It's my yeah. work. Yeah. But home, it's it's pretty much English again. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. Certain things I don't. I think I don't have the vocabulary in English anymore because mm. it's it completely switched over to uh, to French. G- give me an example of that. So I'm working in a museum right now. Mm. So all of the technical details of conservation, museology, and the collection, yeah. and all of the the legal bits of uh, museum management in France, yeah. all of that is in French, and it takes a bit of time for me to translate that into English to explain that. <laughs> 
Wow. And did you like study? You did, you did a course in, for a year, like you did a course in France, right? Yes. So when I moved here, I was accepted into a program. It's a one and a half year program for conservators, for curators mm. in France. Got it. So it's essentially for public servants. And okay. they also take a few international students into the program. Mm. So I was accepted as an international student into that. So I did that for a year and a half. And then since then, I've been working. Got so, it, got it. And I'm assuming that's where you learned all of this technical, like complex yes. business French. Yeah, it was a bit hardcore because all of the public servants had already done a bunch of courses. They've studied mm. everything in French in France. Yeah. And then they pass a public exam to uh, enter this program. Yeah. And then they are essentially government uh, employees for the rest of their lives. Correct. So for them, I guess it's a, a bit easier than an international student. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> <laughs> like French isn't that easy a language to learn. And I think you can learn French like casually, but then like professionally, crazy. <laughs> respect, respect for you. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, when you don't have another choice, you end up doing it. I guess yeah. that's, that's the thing. Yeah. So why did you, you moved to France after you got married. That was the reason why you, you moved to France. Pretty much that, yeah. So uh, my partner was in Bangalore at the time and mm. he had found work and we were both in a place where we didn't know what to do next. Got it. And we said, okay, whoever finds the first thing to do, the other one follows. <laughs> so Got he it. found a fabulous job in Paris. So then he said, okay, let's move. We'll see what happens next. <laughs> well, you, you work in a museum and you, and you work in French. I think you're doing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too shabby. <laughs> not too shabby at all. So I think just to give everybody a quick summary and Ananya is kind enough to send me a voice note about everything she's been up to. Um, so after college where we started history, the only two things I remember, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think three things you should say in res. I think it was Rad, Rad South. Yes. Rad yes. South. There you go. Um, you should dance and you should study history. <laughs> Those are the three things I remember very, very clearly of Ananya. I think that sums up my Stephen's life anyway. So. <laughs> Um, so, so after, after, after graduating, um, back in 2013, uh, you decided to go to a master's, uh, in ancient, Indi ancient Indian history at JNU. You then got a PhD in archeology. span Um, no, a little correction. I didn't get my PhD. I did my Oh, MPhil. you get your MPhil. Yes. <laughs> I'm just a bachelor's yeah, Danya. For me, anything more than that is <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> oh, PhD is a big goal. It's, it's, it's a big goal. Tracks, but, uh, yeah, you uh, have you been thinking about getting a PhD? Yes, yes, it, it's yeah. always been in the plan, but uh, right now I'm not really sure when. Got but it. when I started history, the plan was to eventually do a PhD. Got so. it. As you have realized <laughs> on this podcast, like people don't stick to their plans, so that's absolutely fine. That is true. <laughs> but, uh, life gets in the way. Life gets in the way. I mean, I don't think gets in the way, but just life happens. Uh, anyway, so 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 you did an MPhil. My apologies uh, in archaeology. In archaeology. Uh, and then you spend a year doing excavations and survey programs, which I'm very curious to know. Like I've only seen this in like Discovery Channel where people are like digging into the soil. <laughs> I'm very curious what one does. But you did you did a, a year of that, and then you like you mentioned you 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 got married and you essentially moved to France where you studied museology and conservation. Uh, and now you're working at the Museum of Asian Arts in Paris. Yeah. And, and we were just chatting about this before we started. Is among like a lot of people I've, I've had on the podcast, just like a few of and a handful of them have actually continued on the paths they, you know, started off in college. Um, so either they're currently doing a PhD um, or, you know, they're, they're continuing academics, but 
you have continued to stay in, in, in the broad spectrum of history. And I don't know if like history, archaeology, museology, conservation is like similar or they're like worlds apart. But why have you stayed in this, in, like, in this space over the last like, decade? The thing is, I wanted to be an archaeologist since I was 13. Really? So that's, that's been my dream since I was a kid, I guess. And for the life of me, I don't know why. I can't give you a good reason why I wanted to do this and still yeah. sticking to this. But um, yeah, so when I joined Stevens, it was essentially to study history because there weren't a lot of good programs for archaeology at the bachelor's levels. Mm. So I came to history at Stevens and then do a master's in JNU, which is, again, narrowing it a bit more to ancient Indian history. Correct. And then an MPhil to do a thesis on archaeology with a supervisor yeah. who specialized in archaeology of, uh, of Northern India, essentially. Yeah. So I did all of that. And then the idea was to do a PhD. And mm -hmm. for that, I, I really lacked field experience because at right. JNU, there was no department for archaeology itself, which okay. meant that there weren't a lot of actual excavations happening. Hmm. So I took a year off to... Uh, participate in some digs and surveys, yeah. um, mostly in South India. Mm -hmm. I also did one in Germany. And it was just because it's a lot of physical work. And you yeah. know, those skills, you, you can't really learn that in the classroom. Yeah, like you nobody teaches you how to dig, like remove soil out of the ground. In a and you have to be careful. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be breaking into yeah, it. You're not break stuff. gardening. <laughs> exactly. So that, that takes a certain amount of skills that you only learn with practice. Mm. And so I took some time off to do that. And then somewhere along, all, uh, along the way, I realized that what would it mean to work as an archaeologist? It meant you would have to teach. Mm. You would have to become a professor at some point. And I really didn't want to do that. So... <laughs> So that was when I said, okay, let's take a pause and see how else we can approach this. How else can you work with archaeological collections in a similar field, but without any teaching involved? So that's mm. when museology and conservation came into the picture. So then I studied that for a bit longer. And then now I'm working with archaeological collections in the Museum for Asian Art. So Got it. What about archaeology do you like so much? Like, what, what fascinates you about it? Well, personally, for me, it's the field work. Mm. You know, it's to actually work with objects in the field, discovering things, trying to make sense of it, mm. knowing full well that you are only making an educated, estimated guess. And that's mm. it. <laughs> you know, you cannot say anything for sure. Yeah. But that's also where the fun is. You, you do a lot more research and you try to make the most sense of uh, what is essentially waste, you know. <laughs> it's stuff that's left behind, it's stuff that's thrown away. It's, that's also kind of why I did my, uh, my thesis on the archaeology of death and mortuary practices. Mm. Because suddenly you realize that there's one field or one part of archaeology where, there's, where the remains that you find are put there thoughtfully with a purpose, mm. with a lot more care than just a lot of the other things that you find in the field. You know, um, a burial is a well thought out um, archaeological remain that you find. Mm, you know, why yeah. would you do this? How do you treat the body? How do you place it in the soil? What are the things that uh, surround it? So there's a lot more thought that goes into um, something like that, which yeah. is why it was really fascinating for me to study. Yeah, that's super fascinating. Like, give me an example of like something which is very thought through when 
like a burial happens maybe maybe not now like right now i think i think like like some religions just bury you in a coffin and that i don't think is yeah. any is not very ceremonious well there's nothing ceremonious in that damn coffin except for you maybe you know the the how expensive your coffin is tells you how exp- like how wealthy you are and like some religions just burn the body and i don't think there's any remains there but i'm curious so cremations pose a whole set of problems that uh, is difficult for archaeology to solve Correct. but in terms of burials no in fact there's a lot that you can find out for instance um like you said a, a burial in a coffin okay but, but then you ask yourself how many burials in this area Mm. what is the social relation between people who were buried there you know some people get uh, a certain spot in the in the mm. cemetery for instance how close are you to a church or are you outside this there are so many different oh, wow. levels to all of this so i was working on a site in um, haryana and there was mm-hmm. a bunch of um, burials discovered at the site called rakigari Okay. and uh, these date to the harappan civilization so it's mm-hmm. quite old uh, yeah. and uh, what you find are a series of burials where the bodies are all placed not to south so then you ask why this alignment yeah all of them buried with um, a whole range of uh, ceramics and pottery all placed yeah. around the head you know yeah. not anywhere else mm. some have uh, jewelry and objects in copper and uh, beads and what not yeah some are absolutely scant children are buried in a completely different style so then you ask the question how are you treating adults versus children when they die so a whole lot of questions <laughs> wow but like i i ask all of like most of the people who are doing like phd's what is the point of knowing all of this like how do you justify to yourself okay i figured all this out all this out right these guys died like two, like 20000 years ago i don't even know when the harappans like i know they were around but this is like a part of my ignorance i'm sure all the phd's are like rolling their eyes like 360 degrees but like how what do you think is the point of all of this well the the the, the most widest answer to that is where did we come from and what did our ancestors in codes do you know yeah. it's just curiosity human curiosity i suppose yeah what happened how did they live and how did yeah. they do things <laughs> like i i of late i'm reading a ton of books which you know is around like i, th- I think a mix between like history and physics um and yeah. sort of you know history is like okay these are how the people did and then physics is like okay this is what happened at the big bang but yeah it's, it's just <laughs> super super fascinating and and i can imagine like i think just just trying to understand and pushing how far your your mind can think about things is 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 fulfilling in itself in my opinion and and you know if you get paid to do that like <laughs> what else do you want yes. what else do you want absolutely <laughs> that is pretty good um what, what is the most fascinating thing or like do you have like one like vivid memory when you were doing these excavations which are like oh my god that was like the highlight of that my my, my one year well i guess there are two okay, okay. Uh, in fact even better <laughs> <laughs> because one was when i discovered a piece of a mammoth rib in an excavation in haryana um, no 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 sorry this was in jump oh my <laughs> no. god <laughs> i was like no <laughs> no no not in haryana <laughs> no this was um, a paleolithic site okay, okay. It, was, it was very very humbling and uh, you realize okay these things remain in the soil and kind of wait for somebody to discover it or not and when you do it's it's quite fabulous and the other was when you were working on a burial in um, karnataka mm-hmm. and so essentially 
we kind of hit the, the burial by accident. We discovered it by accident. Yeah. And there was a, a layer or a few layers of ashy material before we reached the, the skeleton itself. Mm-hmm. It was a windy day, which meant a lot of this was just getting blown in our face. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, I am breathing in a few oh. hundred year old skeletal remains. And that was not very exciting. <laughs> And it, yeah, so it, I won't forget that, I suppose. It, Got it. <laughs> Bring the vacuum cleaner, guys. This is, this is too much <laughs> so I have a question, like, how does one decide where to start digging? Like, like when you like, do you like, when there are sites, of course, that makes sense. But like, how, how, how does one decide where to start digging? So the first step of any of these research programs is an archaeological survey. Hmm which means you you have a team and you sort of delimit an area where you want to study and you say i'm going to walk this entire place you make a you make a plan and you usually it's about uh, 10 meters apart that people would uh, place themselves and walk in a straight uh, line to okay. see what's on the surface okay and uh, the principle is that you would find remains on um, an archaeological mound or a site mostly bits of pottery, bits of slag, especially in, our, in um, agricultural um, areas. Yeah. Most of this gets turned around because of uh, digging. So these things turn up on the so- surface of the soil itself. Yeah. So you first do the survey yeah. and then you pick your sites where you potentially can uh, dig. There are lots of limitations, of course. If there's an active village on the site, you can't dig those areas. Yeah. If you don't obtain your permits, then there's the whole administrative bit of it. Correct. So digging happens quite rarely. A lot of, it, a lot of the studies start off with a survey. Mm. And then based on the, the quantity of materials that you find on the surface, you see, okay, maybe this is the best place to excavate. Maybe uh, somewhere else. Yeah. If you find stuff on that piece of land, does it belong to the land owner? Or you do you just like, oh, I found it, so I take it? No, you can't take any of this. And especially, you, you could take it, which would be stealing. But uh-huh. then you study that and you publish something, then that poses a lot of ethical questions. So you wouldn't on, want to do that. On who owns that? Yeah. And why did you take it without properly studying it? So you, mm-hmm. once you remove it from the land, that, that chain of where it came from is lost once you move it from its context. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. want to study it in place and record it properly or leave it there. Don't touch oh, it. Got it. <laughs> got it. Wow, that's fascinating. So, so now the work you do at, at the museum, is it very, very different? Like, is it studying stuff which are moved from archaeological sites to the museum or, or are you reading something else these days? No, it's essentially that. So the museum has a lot of collections of uh, archaeological objects coming from excavations dating back to the 1920s. Mm. So France had a number of delegations in Afghanistan, Pakistan, a little bit in India, mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, Asian countries. So uh, they have a lot of collections in the museum that require further studies, documentation, and just conservation. <laughs> Got it. We'll come back to what an average day for you looks like at the museum. What does one do at the museum? <laughs> like, are you a tour guide? <laughs> I'm sure not. <laughs> but... Uh, but one question I had is, um, and I, I remember I was talking to Aditi about this. I think you were probably around the same time at, at JNU um, during the protests. And she had mm-hmm. some interesting, uh, uh, you know, like sound bites around uh, how life was 
But I'm curious to know, you were also around the same time when this entire protest stuff was erupting in, in JNU while you were doing your master's and, and MPhil. What, what did it yeah. feel like? Like, well, like I'm just curious to know, what, what, what was it like when all of this was happening? Well, <laughs> it was complicated. So the first two years of my master's, I lived on campus. Yeah. And uh, that was a, a big change from Stephen's, as you can imagine. You know, resident Stephen's to the hostel in JNU was completely different. Suddenly, you've got all your freedom to participate in an active student life that's also very, very political. Yeah. So for me, it was it was wonderful. I was very excited about all yeah. of it, and you know, went to all of the demonstrations and listened to all the talks and everything. And then for the for my MPhil, I moved out because essentially I realized if I had to study archaeology, I'd have to do something about it and it was not completely happening at JNU the way I wanted it to. Mm. So I, I ended up taking a lot of MOOCs online to be able to study this and just I had to find other means of, of really just learning archaeology because it was not happening at the university. Got it. But the protests itself, honestly, I was really glad to be in JNU around that time. It's mm. wonderful to be in a place that is so active politically and brings you down to the reality of what's happening in the country, you know. Yeah. And not just, I'm a little academic in my little cocoon and I will read my yeah. books and do my work and not uh, be aware of what's actually happening. Yeah. All of this research can come to a standstill if uh, the government is going to say, no, we're not funding this anymore. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And, and would you say you're still politically active or like politically in, in like interested now that you've sort of moved out, you're living in Paris for, for a while. Yes. I mean, as much as I can be from here, mm. uh, but yes, I don't think that can go away. You know, it's hard to cut yourself off from all that's happening. Mm. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm absolutely not politically active. Um, yeah. And uh, maybe it's also because I've not, you know, been in an environment where people around me are like, like Stephens, I wouldn't say was very politically active. I think it was absolutely yeah, politically absolutely. sterile. Um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, and after that, I got into like the corporate world, which nobody there really cares. But um, so yeah, it's always fascinating to to see how, because most people I speak to are like, at least people who are politically active are like, it's like, how can you not be? <laughs> but I'm like, I know. <laughs> But just being around people who do this and you realize, yes, it just makes sense. Yeah. And there's no other way of, uh, other than being a part of it some way or the other. Yeah. So, yeah. no, don't beat yourself up about it. Uh, a lot of... <laughs> yeah. My, my, my hope is that I can, I can come around to figure out what the right balance is because I, I, mm. I, I do, like, I hate the fact of just getting sucked into these endless, like, debates and... I'm just like, oh, this is just totally pointless. But um, but no, I see the value in it. So good to yeah. know that you're, you're still you're still. Um, well, I try to be just from a distance. It's uh, it's painful and uh, frustrating because you can't do very much. Yeah. So so you did this year of of excavation, which sounds super fantastic. Um, and then you decided to move to Paris. I'm very yeah. curious to know, you've been living there for about two and a half years now in Rue de Maison, whatever that is, <laughs> if I got it correct. But uh, uh, what do you love about Paris and what do you hate about it? Well, the, the, the city life is fabulous. 
Yeah. It's hard to deny that, you know, the people, the crowd, okay, obviously this is pre-pandemic, but uh, <laughs> the people, the crowds, the museums, the, the monuments, just, just the active life outside yeah. is, is quite wonderful. And people are really nice too. So, you yeah. know, I've had a wonderful time living here. What I've realized is the, that the minute you make an effort to speak French, mm. people are nice. They, they just come around being nice to you. You speak in English and there's an automatic wall that comes up. And yeah, I guess that's just uh, French pride in their language. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And what do you hate about oh. it? But hate is an extreme word, but you get... You get yeah. Well, the same things, in fact, sometimes the crowds can get get a bit much. When yeah. I, I lived for a short while in the city itself, got it. and that got a bit much. And you're like, mm. woof, that's a lot of people. And this is someone coming from Delhi and Bangalore. So you're like, woof. <laughs> <Yeah>. The bar <laughs> is pretty, pretty tourists. <laughs> yeah. Too many tourists, too many people. Yeah. So that's when I, we eventually moved to the suburbs. So it's a bit more calm and um, green. <laughs> Got it, got it, got it, got it. So two, two and a half years. And, and you, you sudden, you work, so you, you got a commute to work in Paris, right? I'm assuming mm-hmm. museums in Paris. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, I take the train. It's not terribly far off, 30 minute um, commute. So it's got not too it. bad. And, and how has Paris been during the pandemic? Maybe not Paris, but where you're living. Uh, I, I remember sort of a few months, maybe or maybe like a year ago, it was getting pretty bad. And like Paris was like, France was going to lockdowns. But how is it right now? Right now, right now, it's completely opened up. But oh, it's the summer, right? Everybody's going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially that. But until uh, May, everything, was, I mean, most things were shut. Restaurants were still not open. Hmm. People were, even um, on the streets, people were all wearing masks. Museums were all shut. So they were pretty strict since the beginning of the pandemic. There were Got very it. few months that things were open and active. Last summer a bit, and now again this summer. Got but it. otherwise, it was quite empty. Nothing really functioning fully. Yeah. I guess the tourism industry took a big hit. <laughs> yeah. And, and for you, during the pandemic, assuming like everybody's working from home, does it get to work from home? Like Given that you're working with like things which are very very old uh, so this this work at the museum is very recent i just started last month ah, so okay, okay, throughout okay. The, the the pandemic or whatever the 2020 yeah. i was working at the national archives for uh, historical monuments got it. and there i was working with a lot of documents which ah. i could be from home so got it, was, got it, got it was okay <laughs> got it so you just started this new job at the museum yeah like what does working at a museum <laughs> even mean like what is an average day so my, my particular job is to uh, document a lot of uh, archaeological collections in the museum, mm. so which means a lot of work in the reserves. So the museum itself has about, I want to say, 30% of its objects exposed to the public. Ah, okay. And the rest of it is underground in the reserves, stocked away for wow. eventual expositions or, you know, whatever. So a lot of it is underground so you want to make sure that they are conserved properly they are properly mm. stocked they're well documented if you want to find them you can still find them mm-hmm. you know where are they exactly yeah. located so i've just started with a bunch of collections coming from afghanistan yeah and so i'm doing the research on what excavations they came from what years where are they all located do they need any restoration or not 
you know, they all in good condition because they were excavated in the 1930s, 40s. Oh, wow. So, so they are quite old. And, and what so, are these things? Like are they pots and pans or like bones or what are they? Mostly pots and pans. <laughs> 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 no, and, and bits and pieces of pots and pans. Huh? Let's, okay. uh, let's not be all ambitious and not for pots and pans. <laughs> <laughs> that would be jackpot. Uh, bits and pieces of pots and, and pans. And a lot of objects in ivory. So there's a lot of that. A lot of objects in stone. You know, carved uh, statues of Buddha and whatnot. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so fascinating. So you spend most of your time just like documenting a lot of the, the, the reserves of, of, of the museum. Of the museum. And then there are also, um, since this collection is not open to the public, yeah. so if anybody wants to do research on a particular collection, they will have to contact the, the Department of Documentation to figure out if they can come and study that or whether they, they need some more information about this subject or that. So I also respond to a lot of those questions. What's been the hardest part, like working in France, apart from the language, which you've clearly seemed to have mastered, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> apart from the language, because <laughs> that's, that's an easy one. Yeah. But apart from the language, I'm sure that's of course very hard, uh, given that, you know, it's an absolutely new language and professionally, like, mm. I don't think I can operate like in pure, Hindi professionally, to be honest, but uh, yeah. Uh, what, what, apart, from, <laughs> apart, apart from the language, what has been the hardest challenge for you? Just maybe even at work or even like just settling in, in this completely new country. Honestly, the language was my answer to that. But yeah. other than that, what would it be? I guess to, to make new connections when you've mm. completely moved your life from one country to the next, you're like, ah, okay, I left behind my family, friends and everybody that I know. And here you have to make an effort to make new friends, uh, you know, find new colleagues, find work, yeah. all of that. Uh, and yeah. especially in the middle of a pandemic, so that was not really easy, but yeah. it happens. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, you, do you miss home a lot? Quite a bit. I mm. can't deny that. And I guess now more so than ever, because you don't know when you can go back mm. safely, you know, responsibly, all of that. Yeah. That's what sucks. Before you, you knew that, okay, worst case, you could always go back. And now Correct. you have to be responsible about it. <laughs> <laughs> responsible. That's the new word. You can travel, but you got to be responsible. Travel responsible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but you, you didn't mention earlier that you don't see any of yourself sort of moving back to India anytime soon. Is that mainly because mm-hmm. like home is France or like you, you like maybe the career you're, you're following or the life you want to pursue, you can't just do it in India anymore. Well, what's like the big reason? I think it's that essentially. I, I don't see myself working in India mm. because it's a, it seems a lot more complicated. And when you realize that you can do all that you wanted to do in an environment where there is a setup for it, yeah. You know, here there are museums with a lot of rules about how to protect your collections and how to document it. And it's kind of state funded, state sponsored. Yeah. And where there's an active interest in protecting all of this and not just for political gains, you know, mm. that's when you realize maybe you want to stick around a little bit longer here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always fun. Um, just like, you know, building this new life in a, in a new country and it's challenging, um, yeah. but, but it is quite, uh, it, yeah, it's quite, it's quite entertaining and I think the challenge is fun. 
how I'm curious to know, like, how, what has worked for you in terms of finding new friends? Because I've moved to Singapore. I've been here for about like two, two and a half years. And my major friends were just my work colleagues. And then when I switched mm-hmm. jobs, that completely changed. But uh, I'm curious to know sort of what has worked for you, like making friends in this absolutely new, new country. So the, as soon as I moved, I was doing this course. So I had yeah. a lot of classmates. Mm. Who I've still who I'm still in touch with, and yeah. we try to meet as much as often, and we talk. Yeah. And they're all people who were working in a similar field. Got it. So it's also you also have a lot of things in common, you know, yeah. archaeologists and conservators and curators. Yeah. So there's a lot of common interests there. Yeah. Um, apart from that, it's a lot of uh, friends of my my partner mm. that uh, I've sort of sort of dragged into that uh, <laughs> circle it. as well, which is nice because then. Suddenly, it's a lot of people who have nothing to do with archaeology and history and museums. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to have another perspective. It is refreshing. Of, uh, it's a different uh, circle. Yeah. So that's worked. Apart from that, a few colleagues, but uh, not so much because I've, mm. only, I've been working for a year and a half now. So it, It's so cool to see that you've continued like the, 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 the goal or the like, aim you had when you were 13. Like, it wasn't even the realm of imagination that I want to be an archaeologist. Like maybe I watched like TV shows and they were like, would dig out the stuff yeah. in Egypt with the pharaohs <laughs> and the mummies would come alive. But uh, it's super cool to see that you, you somehow, you know, managed to do that so many, so many years later. And, and do you see yourself, you know, staying in this industry and, and doing this kind of work for say the next, you know, five, 10 years? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I really hope so. I mean, should nothing go terribly wrong? Yeah. Um, it should it should happen because PhD is in the in the plan somewhere. Got it. And, so that would require um, you to teach, right? Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I've managed to find a way around it. Oh. So let's see. Got because it. also the PhDs in Europe are much shorter. It's, it's hmm. a three-year thing. And well, we'll see. I don't know how it's going to go, but um, hopefully it should happen. Got it. Got it. And anyway, when you look back, uh, and if you had to think about like a shift in belief you've had, like something you used to believe very strongly uh, back in college, uh, but now you sort of don't believe that anymore and it's shifted like 180 degrees, what would that be? Well, um, I guess it would be that you can do more than one thing at a time in your life. You know, for me, it was, I always thought you had to, okay, you had to focus on your career, you had to focus on your studies, you have to do this, 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 you'll finally reach your PhD and you'll find work, yeah. hopefully, yes. And then you realize there's a lot of things that you want to do at the same time, or you should, you should be able to do without compromising your, uh, your career or your studies or whatnot. Yeah. You know, and that's been a, a learning I guess yeah. over the last couple of years, packing up and moving to another country or uh, picking up a lot of new skills or just tweaking your plan is not so bad. <laughs> yeah. What, what has sort of risen on the priority list? Because I, by the way, I would like plus one to exactly what you said, but I'm curious to know what are, what are things, of course, career is probably, maybe, I don't know if it's still number one for you, but what are things which have gone up the list? And maybe what are things which have gone down the list in terms of your priorities? To have a more balanced life, you know, mm-hmm. where all your effort does not go into one thing, mm-hmm. whether it's career or family or whatever, but yeah. just make enough time on a daily basis or a yearly basis even to do all the things that you want to do. Yeah. You know, your hobbies, your interests, yeah. your travel, whatever it is that you, um, 
like you don't have to push it for when you're 40 to do it you know mm. i'm going to focus my 20s on my career and that's it you have to find some kind of a way to do everything because otherwise you'll just miss out on a lot of things <laughs> yeah so so what are those things for you of course like your work is one but what are the other things that you're trying to balance well right now it's just learning a lot of things that i always wanted to but uh, i didn't have the means to or didn't have the opportunities to like i'm i'm doing pottery now which has oh. been a big dream and now it's actually happening wow. so um, <laughs> doing that which is nice and um, um a lot of activities cycling travel i mean all of this keeping in mind pandemic covid all <laughs> of that <laughs> yes <laughs> and then also personally a family life that um, yeah. i hadn't really planned on but it kind of happened and like yeah. okay i got to make sure that that also fits into the scheme of archaeology and history and <laughs> everything else yeah that's wonderful i think there are so many people who it's freakingly weird how the lang- even the terms we use is so similar you know the the, the phrase you use around living a more balanced life i kid you mm-hmm. not i've heard that phrase from so many so many different people I <laughs> and my, myself too like sometimes when i'm like journaling i'm like oh i i want to make sure i live a more balanced life but it's crazy like do you think it's an age thing or do you think that we maybe did a lot in our careers and then realized that mm, this ain't this ain't that that fun <laughs> i think it, it has to do with age if i told this yeah. to my 19 year old self she'd be like no no not happening <laughs> yeah. you know you stay up till 3 in the morning reading or watching something or yeah just just being with people yeah and now i'm like at 11 o'clock i want to go to bed <laughs> <laughs> so so what what advice would you have for your 19 year old self well try not to stress too much but i'm sure that will fall on deaf ears so <laughs> it's almost useless but try not to stress too much things will be all right mm. it will be okay <laughs> got it so that's one what is another piece of advice it, i don't know if it's advice but just to reassurance that you'll get there you know you'll do archaeology in some way or the other mm-hmm. it'll happen <laughs> so if if someone had to meet you like after college or maybe like when you were still in school and they would just run into them on the street right now what would you want them to 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 like find dif- what do you think they would find different in you what do you think they'd find the exact same in you if they've ever heard me say i want to do archaeology they'll probably mm-hmm. be surprised that i'm still doing it or mm-hmm. happily surprised whatever yeah but i think that would be one thing that hasn't okay. changed yeah. that really hasn't changed um what has changed i, I don't know honestly <laughs> been pretty much the same <laughs> what do you think it would be like oh my god maybe your french would be one um yeah then i that i speak french now maybe that that's something that like what <laughs> yeah and, and are you still dancing no that no? has not of taken a huge pause hmm. i will say yeah got it got it, got it. <laughs> well i know we are like almost well let's say the hour but we i think we will we were on track to wrap within the app but uh, do, do you have a question for for me ananya well uh, yes in fact i do you've been talking to a lot of people and apart from people saying yes to doing the podcast yeah how how are you selecting these stories or how are you curating these uh, these podcasts because you know, everyone sort of lived a completely crazy story until now yeah. and i want 
just wanted to know if you have some kind of a thought process before you say, I want to hear this person's story or I want to hear another yeah. person's. <laughs> yeah. While my tech, while my answer should be, yes, I think about this a lot before choosing the, <laughs> the curation of this, of this, of this podcast. The answer is I, I just message anybody and everybody. So okay. like, the, the first 15 episodes were just people I knew because I was really nervous, even like, like being a host. So for me, literally the first five or 10 episodes were just like people who I was super like comfortable with and it was just like literally like test dummies. Um, yeah. And then over time, I think it's just been, um, yeah, just like people who either, you know, listen to the podcast or who have messaged me. Uh, there's not been actually that much thought um, okay. on, you know, who I select. And like, and that's, I, I'm glad you asked that because some people think that I only want to speak to people who quote unquote have fantastic stories and quote unquote are like successful. That That's absolutely not true. Like, I know. Yeah, I, I know what you mean because everyone's got their own interesting, exactly. fabulous trajectory that's uh, been there. Yeah. Correct. Um, and for me, it's like, I knew you 10 years ago and I'm just generally curious to know what you're up to. And I'm sure many others are. So that's it. That, that's, that's how okay. I, and I think everybody's story is, is interesting. Um, of course, some people are not like, they're like, oh, maybe, you know, we're not really comfortable sharing it or probably they're in yeah. life and they know they don't really want to talk about stuff right now. And I understand that. But yeah, I think what, what disappoints me and I, and I put this in the intro for the last podcast is, you know, it's, it's not about, you know, sharing words of wisdom for people or it's not about, oh, I need to talk to these successful people. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's not what the podcast is about but but yeah i think i think it's it's mainly around um people who i've known people who just happen to follow me on like instagram has been a blessing because i can just whoever follows me i just go through the list and be like okay i'm going to message you do you want to come on the show okay. do you want to come on the show um so yeah that, that's the thought process but but no i don't know do, do you do you what do you think like did, did it seem like there were there was a thought process behind how i was curating the show no, all the fabulous stories to listen to, which is what I was like, okay, maybe there is some kind of a criteria behind this, but um, no, but I, think the, I think the people are fantastic. Sure. And the people are fantastic and their stories are fantastic. I think the way I think yeah. about it is uh, humans of New York. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the, what, what I really like about that is they just pick up random, I won't say random, but they pick up people like everyday people. And the thing is, everybody has that unique story. And I think the challenge is for me, I think in the podcast is how do I bring that out or how do I sort of, you know, get yeah. that story within like an hour or whatever the time we have. But again, for me, like the, the, the real reason I started this podcast was just as an excuse to like say hi to people. <laughs> like there was no way in hell that we would have ever spoken. Or at least I would have reached out if not for the podcast. So I'm just like, I'm very grateful that I started it. Um, and I think similar to you, I was like, you know, t- 10 years later, you I've been doing so much about this career and work and like, like when you leave jobs, you always say that, oh, the most important thing are the people and then you do nothing about it. So, so yeah, I think for me, the real reason is I don't care about the stories, to be honest. Well, I don't not care, but for me, it's an excuse to, to, to meet people. And it's say it's I. really wonderful to catch up like this, honestly. Yeah. If, if someone was to say 10 years after college, you're going to talk to Ruben uh, for a podcast from two different parts of the world. You're like, what? <laughs> it's insane, right? And just imagine, like, Anani and I haven't spoken ever since we graduated, which is 10 years, well, not 10 years ago, but roughly. At um, least, yeah. 10 years. And it's crazy, right, that people can actually 
not speak to each other for a good amount of time and then still have this kind of a conversation it's it's just like it blows my mind so i, I think this will well, be part of, part, of, part of somebody's archaeological records 100000 years later <laughs> anyway the, the, it, it's it's pretty meta anyway so i, I think we're almost at the hour ananya thanks a ton for for doing this and uh, thank you Ruben. yeah i i wish you all the best on, on whatever work you're doing you're clearly skilling it um and maybe we can do another podcast when you started doing your phd i don't know uh, or, or <laughs> in you, 10 or years you, time maybe <laughs> in 10 years or you found some crazy i don't know some new mammoth somewhere but uh <laughs> so uh, no, i promise if i find another mammoth it will be uh, announced on your show <laughs> <laughs> and and if people need to find you like how's the best way to get in touch with you Well, I still have my email from back in the day or uh, Instagram I suppose that would be easier. Got it. And what's your handle at Ananya? Ananya Pramod. Got it. So at Ananya Pramod. So best way to get you is Instagram. DM you on Instagram. Awesome. <laughs> cool. I think with that let's Thank let's you. call it a wrap. And that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the podcast. If you've been enjoying these conversations, please leave us a review. You can review us on Apple Podcast or any of your podcast players. If on Spotify, just go follow us. If you've enjoyed this ad-free experience, it's because we don't have any sponsors. But if you'd like to support the show, you can now buy us a coffee. You can find the link in the show notes below. I upload new episodes every Saturday, not Friday, and I'll see you in the next one.